What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast, number 35 today. Number 35, in honor of, obviously, 35 Ventures, man. (laughs) And today we got somebody that's been watching 35 Ventures grow from probably pretty much the beginning. Um, And he's somebody that both Gianni and I are friends with, somebody that, man, we have a good laugh every time we hang out. So I'm expecting nothing different today. Welcome to the show, entrepreneur, venture capitalist, and my, oh, and so, wait, I, we'll have to figure out what I say about your wine, um, and also the owner of Lyons Wine, Mr. Chris Lyons. What's yo, up, yo. brother? What's up? What's up? How are you guys doing today? Good, man. Thanks for coming on. Nah, you already know. This is a long time coming, and I feel like we've had this podcast at least 500 times. It's just never been recorded, so this is awesome. Man, <laughs> yo, that is so true, and you and I have had some deep one-on-ones too, bro. We've had some powerful man. one-on-ones. The sessions. The sessions are real. The sessions know? are real. Sponsored <laughs> yeah. by Weed Maps. No, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, when we got to the Bay, uh, Gianni, you know, I've told you this, KD and I met Chris as soon as we landed, as soon as KD signed with the Warriors and got there and we started moving around a bit and we become close, close friends. And I know so much about you, so I didn't... I, it's funny, when I was prepping before... And my version of prepping, as G and I joke about, is like, man, look at this piece of paper, bro. It's like four-year-old handwriting. Um, But I flew through this piece of paper. Like, I know you that well. And I think you and I have gotten close where, you know, we've really gotten to understand each other's past in in business and and helped each other and inspired each other. You grew up in Atlanta, though, right? You grew up in Atlanta, Georgia? Yeah, like right, right outside, about 30 minutes right, right outside of Atlanta. But yeah, that's where I still got the 404 area code. My conference line's 404, went to Georgia State. Uh, you know, so definitely, you know, really keeping the, the South in the roots throughout this whole journey. So you were a kid in the 90s. So was the music scene in, uh, well, early 90s, late 90s, right? The music scene in Atlanta was just popping. Plus, it was, I think it's, I mean, I think that that's where the foundation, obviously, you, you come from New York, you have a different perspective. But on my side, you know, I think like the, like everywhere from old school outcast, AT Aliens was in my, was in my, my CD player from the very beginning, you know, Ludacris back in the day. I mean, just Jermaine Dupri, uh, the old LaFace records. Like, I mean, really just the energy of Atlanta uh, was, was, is, is in my soul. And then now, you know, you think about just how, how the music has continually progressed. I mean, from the, the snap music to, you know, trap to just where, you know, just the sound and the soul of Atlanta and, and really just the Southern, Southern energy has, has been such a huge play, not only within the music industry, but just all culture. And so, you know, I'm just super, uh, you know, thankful to have been part of that and, and have that influence, you know, my musical backgrounds, but also how I really see the world. So, and when you're growing up, like, is that then what you want? Because your first kind of real job right out of college was working with Jermaine Dupree. So was that what you aspired to be as a kid? Did you Absolutely. want in the music scene? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I actually, I mean, I was always an entrepreneur. I always loved, you know, seeing kind of where the future of technology was going at the same time. But, you know, like I was the first kid with like a, a MP3 player or the first kid with like a, a sidekick in high school. And so, you know, always loved kind of this intersection. But, you know, at the end of the day, I always wanted to be a music producer and a music engineer. I still do. I still do music to this day. And so, 
you know, ended up leaving college uh, at Georgia State to go to a school called Full Sail University, where I got two degrees in entertainment business and recording arts. And after that, ended up going uh, back back to Atlanta and started working with Jermaine in the studio. And so I always just loved the idea of of you know just being in the studio and just really kind of having this idea of where you can have a thought. Uh, which is like a sound or whatever, and just really kind of translate that into a feeling and emotion that ultimately the entire world can can end up loving and appreciating. And so, you know, if you think about just kind of how that transcends into just business and life, like, you know, this idea of just, just really going from zero to one, but mu- musically, I think is something that everybody can understand. And now I think we're really starting to see that transition into all areas of, of business and life. So you know, I, I think that, you know, to this day, I think keeping that mentality of being a creative first and, and being, uh, you know, using that side of your brain to, to really kind of start and initiate all these ideas is is super important for me. And and I think that it's it's really my secret sauce behind everything that I do. So, uh, Gianni, in, in some of these like early conversations we would have, every time I would be with Chris, it would be. Um, I would learn something new that he was working on, you know, and you grow up in New York, especially from the music industry where I started, like, you know, you go to the studio, which was the equivalent of how we were hanging out and people pitching you demos or telling you the new million dollar idea. But I get to Silicon Valley and I meet Chris and I hang out with him the first time. He's like, yo, I have my own wine. And I'm like, oh, God, man, you got to You got to What's the wine? <laughs> I'm like, what's what's the wine, man? And he takes out this like sleek, beautiful, all red bottle, um, and it's uh, what what is it again? I always forget how to pronounce it. Oh, uh, what the Lambrusco? Lambrusco, yeah. I have like yeah. a, some block on that. But in in like the next conversation, I remember I'm sitting there talking to him, and he's like, "Yeah, man, I make music." And now I'm like, "Man, Chris, come on, what are we talking about?" <laughs> it's like the third. <laughs> You're like, hold on, you make you sell wine, you make music, exactly, exactly. And all of a sudden he downloads or he shows me this like some like I don't know if it was on Spotify or something he had had at the time. He showed me the, his listens. First of all, he had a ton of listens already, a ton of streams. And he plays me his album. You weren't singing or anything on the album, right? The first thing you, you don't want to hear me sing. You definitely don't yeah. want to do that. So it was all <laughs> I know music. my strengths and my weaknesses. <laughs> but all, all this to say that like the the music clearly was really a part of you. Like you really wanted to make it. So Jermaine Dupree, which is funny because that's, you know, Scooter Braun worked for Jermaine Dupree first too. So Scooter, so Jermaine obviously like has this great eye for young talent and entrepreneurs. What was your first role with him? Like, well, how did you, how did you start seeing your place in music when you were working with him? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, me and Scooter, it's funny. We call ourselves a so-so deaf alumni, you know? So I think like we always have to, you know, show respect to, to Jermaine just because you know like he really kind of showed us even just what was possible and for me like that was my first time working with somebody you know at that level and um, you know I started off really as an intern um, you know as a sound engineer and, and really helping behind the scenes in the studio and you know whether it was really kind of on the engineering side or um, you know, behind the scenes and really making sure that the studio sessions really went well. And so that's kind of where everything really started. But I think the things that I really took the most from him was just really understanding how he thought about creativity, how he could really get into the flow and understanding how to really, you know, put things together. You know, like there's this one story that like that he shared when 
you know, he was making, um, you know, he was with Usher in the studio and they were like really trying and they were doing the Confessions album and he was just playing video games all night and like Usher was getting super pissed that, um, you know, he like, like, hey, look, I'm here in the studio, like we need to get to work. But like while he's playing Madden, like really what he's doing is he's thinking behind the scenes and getting the, his ideas working. And then all of a sudden at like three o'clock in the morning, he's like, okay, let's go. And, and Usher's like, what are you talking about? And he goes in the studio and writes Burn, you know? And so it's like really trying to understand how creatives can be at their finest and, and then apply a lot of those, those techniques and skill sets to, to how you personally go out and make things. And uh, that, that's, that's why he's the songwriter of the decade. That's, you know, I always look up to him and give him flowers for, for what he's done. And I'm sure Scooter says the same thing, you know? Yep. So, I mean, you also, you had a, uh, you know, I actually didn't know something about you. This, you had a startup before you yeah. moved to the Bay. I'm sure you told me this, but you had a startup before you moved to the Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that while you were, um, while you were at So So Deaf, you were doing this as like a little bit of like a side hustle? Yeah, no. So I actually uh, went back to, um, after working with Jermaine, I was, he just got me super fired up to want to go back out and really do it on my own. So I I went back to school and got my second degree in this, uh, in entertainment business. But while I was doing that, I was also serving tables at the same time. And so in order, I had to, you know, pay, pay, pay those student loans off. And so, um, you know, while I was doing that, it was really right when the smartphone revolution was really taking off and like the first iPhone was really starting to come up, come around and you could be more accessible for everybody to get it. And I noticed that everybody would have their phone out while they were eating. And so, you know, I was like, rather than me you talking about these paper menus and showing people these menus and really describing what, what, what would be the best dish, I said, hey, wouldn't it be so much easier if you had a mobile menu on your phone that everybody could see high quality photos of each individual dish? And then instead of ordering just from me, like you could actually look at the look at the photos. I realized that people eat with their eyes and I was one of the top sellers because I knew how to sell um, one of the top servers because I knew how to sell. And so I was like, what if we could make this one mobile application where the entire world's menus would be on one smartphone, one one app? And so no, nobody did this at the time. This was like 2009 when I was thinking about the idea. And so, you know, once I graduated, I said, well, I can either go back into the studio or I can really try and teach myself, you know, how to code and how to go into this. And me being naive and, you know, which I think is one of my, the, the best things about like how I've moved is just, I just, you know, even if things have never been done, that makes me super excited to go out and do it. Um, I was like, all right, well, I'm already a music engineer. Maybe I could be a computer engineer. And so I taught myself how to code. Uh, you know, built out the prototype for the app, got accepted into an incubator, which flew me across the country to um, San Francisco. I was only supposed to be there for three months and three months turned into, you know, eight and a half years. <laughs> and so now, and so that really kind of got my whole journey started in the, uh, in the, in the technology, venture capital, entrepreneurship space. And so, and to me, I think it's, it's been an incredible experience and you know, my app was actually, you know, it was featured on in, in, in the Apple App Store. We ended up releasing. And it's funny because now in, in 2021, if you look at, you know, where the future of the world is going, if you go out to eat right now, there is no there is no paper menus. Everybody uses QR codes, and but they still have PDFs. And so I still think if somebody wants to go out and, and, and build out the product, uh, I can give them, you know, my old source code and we can get this thing back up and running. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fire. How long did it take you to learn how to code? 
Um, well, it's funny. I always knew how to do it from the like early stages. Like I was the kid that always could like hack a MySpace and you know knew how to like do basic HTML. I learned. I, I took a I took a high school class on it, and you know. So, but then when it got into the real details, I got um, you know I got really focused on just kind of really understanding you know what products look like, like really mapping out you know product features and understanding you know what makes an iPhone app, uh, you know, successful and going through a lot of the, 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 the backend coding systems. And so it was really hard to be honest. And, you know, I just had to, whether it's YouTube videos or learning, um, you know, reading books, but I think now, and you know, it's, it's a whole new world and, and we're experiencing this thing called no code, which, you know, there's going to be companies that are being built that you don't even need to, 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 to learn how to code and you can actually build up applications, which is, exciting because you know i had to go through a lot of the the early uh you know trials and and, and just kind of figuring it out now it's in a, we're in a place where anybody who's interested in kind of getting into technology uh you just need to know the right companies and then after that you know you can go out and build build out your idea and really show a, you know early product market fit so i think we came a long way um and i think that you know hopefully more and more people can 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 you know take their ideas and turn them into real things. That's, that's the, that's the beauty of technology. And that's why I'm super excited about really trying to push this needle forward. So finally schools and organizations around the world are seeing that teaching and implementing coding in their curriculum is a must. And now you're creating something that for no code, man, people, well, yo, let people live on the coding for a little while. man. <laughs> I mean, if you want to learn how to code, I, I, I highly encourage you. I mean, we support a bunch of nonprofit organizations that are really trying to help advance more, you know, black people in diverse backgrounds of all people just really trying to get into the industry. I think it's super important. I think the same ways we find it important to learn, you know, alternative languages like Spanish and French, like it, like coding is a language as well, too. And so I think that that's going to be the, the new universal language that you know, it's going to be imperative for anybody to, to whether it's if your kids are trying to say, what language should I learn? Like, I would say HTML, <laughs> you know, like. Oh, that, that, I like that. You see? I like that. I like that, Lion. <laughs> I like jazz. that. I like that. And, <laughs> I, and, and I'm, I'm kidding, man. I'm kidding. It just, it's funny, like, to hear no code now, like we already done coding. Um, <laughs> when, when you got in the incubator program, did you, was there like a mentor in Silicon Valley or, and, and like, I would assume for you, Right, like a young black kid from Atlanta, you mm -hmm. probably didn't see many people in San Francisco. In San Francisco, you were like, "I want to be that." Right, like you didn't have that mentor. So when you got there, like, what was your expectation, and what was the kind of landscape of of Silicon Valley at that point? Yeah, I mean, I got there in t 2012, and you know, obviously there was not a lot of us that that were uh, in the building, you know, and so, but I, it was really interesting because. Um, you know, my mentors were always people in the entertainment space, you know, or people that I looked up to or people I wanted to be be with. And so, you know, when I came to Silicon Valley, it was it was a completely different, um, you know, mentality that I had to come in, come into with. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, coming from a city where, you know, 56 or percent or even more people are black, like and then going to Silicon Valley when it's less than one percent, like it's a definitely a different change. 
but for me, you always have to look at like that. You always have to look at yourself as a competitive advantage. And so, you know, with me being one of the only black people in the space, especially back then, and, you know, I thought that it was, it was great for one, we can represent within our community uh, and, and really kind of show, you know, the, the Valley, how, how we can kind of move in a first in class way. Also, you know, like just by being in the room and being one of the only brothers in there, like they'll, it's, they're going to remember you just because you're the only one in there, you know? And so I think that we have, we always had to kind of, you know, obviously had to go, you know, twice as hard and in order to kind of get into the mix, but uh, I always viewed it as, as an opportunity for us to really show uh, our strengths and what we could do and, and, and really open up the doors. And I mean, there's a lot of people that uh, really have kind of pioneered the way. I mean, if I, I could go down the whole list. I think the first person that I met and still is probably the closest person to me that I that I would always would give my flowers to is Ben Horowitz and then also Felicia Horowitz. Like they've been super influential to to my career at the very beginning, uh, in terms of really kind of bringing me in and and and, and seeing my value for who I am and not. Yeah, and and so they they've just been super influential. I could do a whole podcast about them and what their impact has been. But you know, I think that it's. Uh, there's been so many people along the way and now, you know, I'm thankful to be in a position where now we could continue to open up those doors and get more people into the building as well. All right, man, you be dropping these dimes, taking us through all the way till the end, man. <laughs> like you're incredible. Um, obviously I want to go um, um, deep on with Ben and Felicia, you know, because our story, while not on the scale of yours is like, they were the first people that we met first people that, you know, kind of gave us the landscape along with Stout and, and Ron Conway. But yep. when you first got to the Bay, you said you were only going for three months, right, for this incubator program? Yeah, yeah. It was only and, a three-month program, technically. And, and that was to help the app you were working on, the company you are working on? Yep, yep, yep. It was all focused. It was like a, like a three-month sprint to basically build out the app, go through an accelerator, pitch in front of investors, and try and, you know, keep that thing going. But to me, that was like my gateway. I was like, once I get out here, like if I go back, I'm going to go back to the same situation. And to me, I'm always thinking, you know, what can we do to really, uh, you know, go into uncharted territories and, you know, learn new things, meet new networks, uh, build new relationships and, and also just learn. I mean, the Silicon Valley is it was more than a location. It was a mindset. And I yep. think for me, it was super important to be in that that environment where every single day every single conversation is about pushing the world forward and thinking about new ideas and dreaming about things that haven't been done uh and really just imagining what the future is and you know when you live in that every single day so it, it can be a, a lot because you know you go to starbucks and you, you, there's not kids playing you know like board games like it's literally business meetings deals being done like you know, every single person thinking about how they can do this and this and this and, and innovation is the center of your heart and soul. Yep. And so, you know, for me, like that was really exciting because I always loved living in the future, but now we got a chance to literally live in the future and be, you know, like one of the first people to try a lift and an Uber or, or really think about like where, you know, cryptocurrencies are going and, and hear about these new ideas and innovations and test new products and, you know, be at that forefront of so many different emerging industries yep. and watch, you know, this whole craze of being into technology and getting into investing and all these things just really start to come together. And so I think it was, a, it, it, I was super thankful to, you know, to, to, to be there during that time. 
Uh, and, you know, now it'll never be the same because, you know, we're living in a whole decentralized world where we can live wherever we want. I mean, you can take your, 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 your uh, mm-hmm. podcast all around the yep. world, <laughs> you know? That's right. But so the thing is, Chris, you know, I, I've watched you, I've watched you network a bit and I've watched you kind of move and, and how you build relationships, how you harness the relationship with Kevin and I and how that's turned into such a close friendship. Absolutely. But, there are some things that just become at chance, right? And there's some things where you get very lucky. And I will say that, like, while you are as shrewd as you are, and, you know, I feel like I was blessed to be able to get in front of Jay-Z at one point in my life, blessed to be able to have the opportunity to work with KD, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. for you, like, when you get there into this incubator program, there were other kids with you on that trip. Not everybody went to work for Andreessen and Harwitz and can say that Ben and Felicia, you know, were who welcomed them, and they are as the most welcoming. But how did you even get to them? How did you get to be Ben's chief of staff, a role that I bet so many young kids were aspiring to have? Yeah, yeah, no, that it's it's a, it's definitely it was a blessing. Um, it's so funny. My the original position that I um, applied for was actually based off of uh, another one of my mentors. His name was Michael Ovitz, and he was the former, um, you know, he was the founder of CAA, uh, one of the world's best not only agents but like networkers and individuals and cultural revolutionaries. Like he literally is, you know, my my position and who I kind of embodied my the beginning of my career really kind of went went after him and he's somebody that I've always looked up to as well and so, you know, it was it was a combination of really trying to think about how um, you know our firm could really establish new networks within uh, within Silicon Valley and within new portfolio companies and also at the same time you know, really kind of get the ins and outs of venture capital and kind of think about how I could just be complimentary and additive to everything that Ben was doing, you know, especially that was, I think that was 2013 when I started working at the firm. I think at the time I was the youngest person there. And so it was literally like uh, drinking through the fire hose in terms of like understanding venture, you know, trying to uh, you know, know all the terms and techniques moving at 120 miles an hour, but it was, it was super, super exciting. And I think, um, you know, it was, it was almost like living in a, a rea- like a reality show as fast as things were going at that time. And so, um, but yeah, it was something that I was, I was super passionate about. It really brought all of my skill sets together into one. I mean, if you think about venture capital, it's about finding stars. It's about finding the best and being able to see something in, in somebody that nobody else can see and being able to place a bet on them. If you would think about the music industry, it's almost the same thing. Like if you're looking at an artist, like that's, you're an A&R, you know, you're trying to find and, 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 and pick who that next best, you know, singer or, or hip hop artist or whoever is going to be. And so I like, rather than me thinking about this as, oh my God, I'm in a brand new world. I always looked at it as, okay, what are the skill sets that I have and how can I translate them into an entirely different industry uh, and, and try and find those common threads so that I could feel more, way more comfortable um, in terms of, you know, where those, where the world is going. And so like, rather than me looking at it as, okay, I'm, uh, you know, this is a, 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 a you know, a brand new area. I was like, okay, I'm. All, I feel very comfortable because I can. I can see the world in, in in a place that nobody else could see, and so everybody was that's in Silicon Valley was necessary was you know looking at it from that lens where I always tried to view it from a lens of culture and innovation and, and 
you know, what kind of companies can we invest into or can we work with that, you know, will make it back to the city so my friends can actually use these products and test them out and be, and be you know, a part of this ecosystem as well. And so, I mean, that was always my, my lens that, that, uh, that I always view things on. And I was just thankful that, you know, I got a chance to align myself with a firm that also felt that had those same, uh, you know, cultural values at the same time. Yeah, you know, I, I made this reference to someone the other day. And by the way, the music industry analogy is incredible. I said the same thing to Jimmy Iovine last week um, on one of our boardroom university episodes, just because his track record of investing in people and producers, very similar to investing in founders. Um, but, you know, the thing about Ben and Felicia is they have this like magnetic personality, right? So when you're there and you're his chief of staff, though, like, what are you envisioning? Like when, you know, when you work at a company, when I was at Rock Nation, you start visualizing your role, especially if you're an entrepreneur, right? Some people look at it as like, where am I going to get the most money at this company? Where am I going to get to the highest title or, or department where I'm the safest? But I know for you, everywhere you go, because I've been in these rooms mm -hmm. where you're learning shit for the first time, like you mm -hmm. have this eagerness and this curiosity and this confidence where like, you may not speak the language about everything you're talking about. And then all of a sudden you are. And as, exactly. as, <laughs> and as soon as you know it, you speak it as fluently as anyone else. You know, I think we share like that kind of um, confidence about going into a room, not knowing shit and saying it and then yep. learning it and then utilizing it. But yep. when you got there and you started getting your bearings a bit and you could be around Ben and Felicia and see how they hosted so many people in the valley, et cetera. What were you starting to view yourself as like what what did you want? Yeah, no, I think it's awesome because like you said, like you have to be a sponge and then, you know, the more you learn, like, I think I don't, I'll probably butcher the saying, but like, uh, in order to be a teacher, you have to learn twice, you know, you have to learn it the first time, then you have to learn it well enough for you to then share that with somebody else. So that now you're actually relaying the information in a way that is mutually valuable and you're actually sharing the, the knowledge that you've actually learned. And so for me, before I ever said anything about, okay, this is where I think the future of crypto is going, or this is how I think about network effects or marketplaces or these type of industries, I had to sit down and actually learn the industry and learn the game and, and, and be in the room and sit through thousands of pitch meetings and listen and, you know, hear how Ben and Mark and all of our GPs like think about um, evaluating different deals and why we should do things and different theses. And so it was just like a constant process of learning and then applying in real time. I think that was the beauty of this. And so as I was like really kind of going through this, 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 um, you know, this, this whole process of, of really trying to figure out, okay, well, what is my unique thesis? What's the thing that I believe in that nobody else believes in? Um, you know, it really just boiled down to this idea, um, this thing called an idea maze. An idea maze is basically like, how has your entire life brought you into this point where now you're best suited? You're the best person in the entire world to create this this product, right? And we've seen that with with major companies uh, that have been built. And if you look at all of the the best founders, oftentimes it's not just them just coming to this one idea, but it's a culmination of multiple ideas that have really kind of brought them into this point. And so as I started really getting a chance to, you know, I, I view this like in the world of basketball, like before you can drill between the legs, you have to learn how to get the fundamentals down. So once I started getting a lot of the fundamentals, I started saying, okay, now I really start to understand 
these foundations, how can I remix them and put them into my own thing? And so I looked at, you know, my passion in the entertainment space. And I looked at like, you know, how I view the world from a technology perspective. Like, what do I love that's cool? Whether it's, it could even be consumer products or clothing or things and how, and also most importantly, like, how does, you know, cultural influence impact the world? And, you know, my thesis was really based off of like all of those things coming together. And so, you know, for me, I was like, what can I do in order to be a bridge, not within Silicon Valley, but without, with outside of Silicon Valley. And so I said, if you look at kind of what, you know, if, take the Instagram, for example, or take Snap or take, you know, all Twitter, like all these major platforms, like they were big and they started off in Silicon Valley, but, but, but once they became mainstream companies, that was once they went outside of the world. And oftentimes, you know, a lot of those founders, a lot of those companies were, were um, you know, discovered and put on the map by influencers. I mean, what DJ Khaled did with Snap, what Puff did uh, with Ashton Kutcher years ago when they had the race to a million followers, you know, how Instagram, you know, went from a photo, uh, went from bourbon to then Instagram to where it was only for, you know, highly curated artists to then when the first meme hit Instagram and then that's what changed the entire game, right? And so, like, and now I'm in a fortunate position where I'm seeing all these next generation companies and I'm like, look, influence is going to, is going to establish outside of Silicon Valley. And so how can I really be the bridge between those two gaps? And so I think it was 2016, I believe, is when I was like, look, I think that this is my, this is my calling. And this is where I think that the world can really happen. And, you know, um, you know, we've, we already have people coming into, into, you know, whether it's A16Z or just into Silicon Valley and, and they're from, you know, LA, from, you know, uh, New York, from Atlanta, and they're trying to understand the space. And so how can I kind of be that translation and that bridge between the best of both worlds? And so that was something that, I didn't see anybody really kind of doing within Silicon Valley. And so I built out, um, you know, the industry's first uh, influencer network uh, where we were really focused only on supporting and helping, you know, the next generation athletes, entertainers, musicians, um, agencies, and really kind of connecting the dots to get them access and exposure, not only to the, the world's best uh, investment opportunity, but also kind of like really allowing them to understand what the center of innovation is going to look like. And so that was something that I was really passionate about. And, and it was also fun. I, I, I feel like I have one of the best jobs in the world. I don't feel like I work. I get a chance to hang out with people like you all and like, you know, really get a chance to just ideate and like really think about anything that can that is not existing in the world and tie in innovation and really kind of create new opportunities. And so um, you know, that was, that, that, that was the, the, the original thesis that, that I believed in. And, and, you know, like ultimately, uh, one of the things that, that, that we believe in is that, you know, you have to go after good ideas that look like bad ideas. And, you know, at the time it sounded like a horrible idea to only, you know, focus on building a network of, you know, people that weren't necessarily the technologists of the world. But, you know, I thought that eventually the, the world will move to a state where people will want to work with, you know, the next generation athletes and next generation musicians and next generation, uh, you know, talent agencies, because that's what's going to help drive and influence and move these companies to the next level. And, and but you have to do it in an authentic way, you know. Uh, even if you think about just, you know, African-American culture, which, you know, is super important to me, especially being one of the only, you know, people of color in the room. It's like African-American culture has been super impactful in the world of sports, 
music, entertainment, fashion, arts. Uh, and then just only within the past, I would say, you know, 10, 15 years has consumer culture really moved onto the internet, you know? And so before it was just all enterprise software. And then now just, you know, only within the past 10, 15 years as, as technology and, and the internet moved into consumer culture. And if you think that, um, you know, black culture, it moves culture, moves all cultures, then we need to make sure that we have a seat at the table when it comes to the next generation consumer companies and all technology companies. And so uh, even, even really thinking about how we can get um, more diverse backgrounds onto the next generation cap tables was super important to me. And that's the reason why, you know, we created the cultural leadership fund. And, you know, now that fund is the first fund in the history of Silicon Valley to be comprised 100% of black LPs. And so that was super important. And so it's like, we're really just fired up in terms of just continually pushing the needle forward, doing things that people haven't done and, and doing it in a first class way. I think you definitely said something super important that I wanted to highlight. So these companies or these platforms, they exist in Silicon Valley. However, these users, the sub community within that platform is what really propels that platform. And so the fact that you are highlighting these individuals that are leaders in these sub communities and then elevating them so that they have a, a higher status on the platform or, or just a recognition, I think is what really drives IG, Twitter, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, even like within Clubhouse, like I think that's a company that we, most recent one that we worked with, like, um, you know, a lot of people don't know, but like we have, uh, we, when, when we decided to work with that, like and really empower, uh, you know, the platform that Paul and Rohan were doing, like we wanted to make sure that not only did we help get more of, of a, a universal uh, audience onto the platform, but like we wanted to make sure that more black people also had equity into the company at the very beginning stages too. And so not only can we have, can help help with the influence and in, in creating and bringing great people onto the, onto these platforms where there's, you know, naturally shared genius. And I mean, like Kevin Hart was the first influencer to, to, to be on, on Clubhouse and what Tiffany Haddish has done to the platform. I think she's like top five, um, you know, most followed on, on there. And she was super early. She came on right after him. And, and we were like, but, you know, they it came into like us being able to have the, the relationships, the trust, and really knowing how to kind of connect the, the shared genius together to ultimately, you know, uh, you know, take, take, the, take the platform to the next level, but also create this brand of, uh, of halo, this, this halo effect of innovation on them as well too. You know, like this is where the world is moving and we just want to make sure that we're giving our community and, and people access and information to where, where the world's going. So listen, I want to get to the Cultural Leadership Fund because that's important. I want to stay in what you just said and I want to get into Clubhouse, but let's go back two steps a little bit on this journey mm -hmm. so we can set the stage a bit. Because, you know, when I met you in 2016, right, which is when you said you realized you wanted to lock in, I guess. Did that have something to do with meeting me and Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that you guys were the best. I mean, I mean I, everyone's the best, but y'all were y'all were brothers. Y'all like it was just so it was special because. You know, I was running 100 miles an hour. You guys came in, were super ready to go. And so I, I, it was, that was probably one of my favorite times in the Bay. I, I hope we can make a TV series out of it one day. Man. It was so, it was so much fun. <laughs> it really was. And I, and I remember one of um, the, not the, not our original time when at Ben and Felicia's for Kevin's birthday, 
But another time when Kanye was there, right? You guys were going mm-hmm. to that show right afterwards. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and Kevin and I left. And that was in November, I think, of 16. Mm-hmm. You know what we were talking about at dinner? You were trying to teach Katie and I about you and Felicia? Bitcoin. And I remember Kevin <laughs> and I were repeating it back to you like we were learning a language. Over, the, We were going like, Bitcoin. You were like, Bitcoin. Yeah, bit with the emphasize the bit. <laughs> yes. And and obviously like we started at that point not only like I said becoming your friend but we became this really cool resource where like we were learning in real time while mm-hmm. you were teaching us, we were sharing resources, you were mm-hmm. bringing opportunities Ben and like I said was awesome and allowed us into the ecosystem a bit. Um what was the moment, though, right, in that time? So everything was moving. That was crazy. And you definitely had built this network. You were able to tie in not just Kevin, but like you said, entertainers and other athletes from the Bay and beyond. Mm-hmm. But you started getting that thing. Like, I remember talking to you, right? And there was a moment where you started envisioning the Culture Leadership Fund and you yeah. um, and, and had to probably go to your partners and or to go to Ben and, and say, look, I want to do this. Mm-hmm. What? How did that all come about within the company? Because that was a big step from chief of staff to, you know, I've seen your title from just the time I met you change so drastically. Yeah, no, it's been, it's definitely been a journey, man. I mean, I, I actually had the idea, I was, I'm in this program, which, you know, one of my favorite programs of all time, it's called the Kaufman Fellows. And it's basically almost like a, you know, Harvard Business School or Stanford Business School for venture capital. And I was fortunate enough to get um, accepted into that. And so they had this thing called the big idea, which is basically like, if you could, at the end of this two-year program, what is the craziest idea you could come up with? And, and my whole thing was just around like, cultural influencers will be the next big investors. And, you know, I, because I, I realized that like, we could get into any single deal. Like, and there was every single, like there was rounds available, rounds that were closed rounds that were oversubscribed, deals that were on the fringe of who was going to win. And so like, and because of the network that we were building, we were able to actually like have access and exposure to that. So I was like, look, man, this is going to be the next, the next big wave. And so I did this whole thesis and paper and presented it to, uh, to Ben and Mark and the whole firm. And at first they're like, no way. <laughs> and I'm like, what? because, you know, like, look, I mean, like it's right for them to say no, because it's a, it's a crazy idea. It's never been done. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a whole new fund built inside the firm that, that would never happen before. And so, but you know, I was like, okay, great. Well, let me show you first. Like, that's fine. I'm okay saying no, because I mean, I just need to find the right answer to get to guess. And so then I started you know, showing examples and getting people into deals and, and doing partnership opportunities and, and building out the network and bringing people to the office and really just kind of doing this behind the scenes underground work to show that the impact was really there. And I remember at one time, um, you know, like I, once we want, there was a deal that we won. And after that, like that was really the, the thing that get, gave us the ability to, to really sit down and, and me and Ben really kind of hashed out, okay, what can we really do to make this work? And so, you know, we, that's when we came up with the idea with the cultural leadership fund. And then after that, it was like, okay, well, he's like, go do it. And I'm like, wait, what? And so then we had to actually go out and, and, uh, you know, that was like really the, the, the thing when it went from, okay, me pushing to now that, that opportunity is in front of me. And so having to go out and, and talk to each individual investor I mean, because it's different because not everybody really even knows, you know, most people have never even invested into a fund before. This is their first time investing into venture capital. So 
kind of what we were talking about earlier in regards to uh, you know, explaining and being educational around what venture capital is, what potential returns are, why you should invest into this versus investing into the stock market, what the benefits are of going private versus public. All of those things were like really brand new to a lot of the, the, the network that we were going after because one, like we were only going after black limited partners, which are called LPs. And two, like it was people outside of traditional Silicon Valley industry. So, you know, athletes, entertainers, musicians, execs, all that. And so it was a lot of understanding, a lot of, you know, really just getting people to feel comfortable around what we're doing. But I was confident that this was going to be revolutionary and it was going to really change the game. Um, it was also important that we had, some, uh, we were attached to the cultural leadership fund to something that was bigger than ourselves. So, all of the money that we make from our fund, that's both management fees and carry, go to uh, a select number of nonprofit organizations that are helping advance more African-American and diverse backgrounds into technology. So that means that there's some good karma on the cap table. We're really trying to help bring this ecosystem together. And so, you know, all of those things were really carefully thought of, but, you know, like we wanted to do it so that it was mutually valuable and, and, and a great opportunity for the people that we're working with and the community that, uh, you know, we're really trying to help bring into this ecosystem. And, and so, you know, that was a lot of the, the, the foundation. It was the first fund, you know, took, definitely took a lot longer than I expected in order to raise, but that was because, you know, you know how it is, Rich, when you're doing new things that's never been done, like you have, there's a, there's, there's, you gotta, you gotta create the trail and you have to, you know, really kind of, you know, go, go against the grain and, and, and really trying to, to really think about the next generation of innovation and specifically when it comes to the culture and our community. And so I, I'm super excited to, to have pushed, pushed through and to have made it happen. And now, you know, we're really trying to just keep, keep the ball moving and take things to the next level. Facts. couple questions. One, how much was the first fund, the first mm -hmm. round? Two, how was your strategy in terms of acquiring new clients? And three, who were some of your early clients? Um, you know, I think though, I don't want to say, well, one of our, our fund was a little under $20 million. I think the, the, the people who I can say that have are publicly on the record, um, you know, we, we've had supporters from, you know, this guy named Kevin Durant and Rich Clement, <laughs> um, you know, it was from, you know, Sean Rhymes was, uh, has, has been publicly, uh, affiliated Sean P. Diddy Combs, who's someone that I've looked up to my entire life. And so super fortunate to have him involved. So like, we really wanted to focus on real cultural leaders across multiple different parts of the world and different industries, not only that are, you know, big names and, and can really kind of, you know, take over the game, but also could be valuable to our portfolio companies. Cause at the end of the day, you know, when we think about building out networks, it's all for the benefit and the support of our companies, you know? And so we want to make sure that we're helping these, each one of our portfolio founders, you know, take their businesses to the next level. And so if we can be complementary to the resources that Andreessen Horowitz is doing and, and, and other, other, uh, you know, great uh, investors and, and partners within the ecosystem, then, then, that's, then that's how we can continue to, to play to win. And who are some of the companies in the first fund? Like, who are some of the winners from your first fund? Oh, man. I mean, so we've been uh, fortunate enough to invest in a, in a ton of different companies across consumer deals, enterprise, crypto, fintech, bio, healthcare, real estate. Uh, I mean, I, like, there's so many, like, I don't, like, want to uh, you know, pick and choose different ones. But I think that like, at the end of the day, 
the companies that, that, that we're supporting really, I think, are going to trailblaze and, and be the, the next generation of innovation. And, you know, we just want to make sure that we can help uh, bring these businesses into the mainstream, help really kind of, you know, double down on, on their product market fit and, 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 and introduce them to new customers and new markets and generations. And also at the same time, you know, when we're working with these companies, I'm also thinking about, like, how can we get more people to work inside those companies. I mean, if you think about if the next generation of wealth is going to happen within the technology industry, um, you know, more people of color need to have a seat at that table and within those companies. And so we also look and, and have a, um, you know, part of CLF's mission is to really kind of help with, with you know, new job opportunities and, and career positioning. And so, you know, we also work with those companies to, to really try and help find and identify great talent so that we can get them into uh, some of these next generation companies so that they can be the future leaders. And then, you know, whether, you know, help build those companies to scale or, you know, be, you know, get the experience so that then eventually they can become a founder and that we can continue to back them and, and, and really kind of help create, uh, you know, minimize this wealth gap and, and, and really start to, to change the game and allow more of us to, you know, make an impact in the space. And you mentioned you guys give 100% of the carry and the management fee, right? So yep. the firm makes no money off the fund or is there another economic yeah, I mean, like the economics are really for the limited partners and for the organizations. Um, you know, I think that that's we wanted to find a a win a, a win solution um, where we, you know I always believe in playing to win. I think that like um, we didn't want this to be necessarily about charity. Like we invest into the best companies in the world. We want to make sure that our LPs have access and exposure to early stage. Um, you know, venture capital, and really get a chance to understand what that what this world is about. And so, you know, we 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 were able to create a model that was a win win solution, both for the network and for uh, the communities that we wanted to serve. That's amazing, man. And and, yeah. the, and the strategy going into the second fund, um, which we also participated in, absolutely, uh, because we're always going to support, and because you're just the best at what you do. Um, <laughs> Because we wouldn't support if you weren't, by the way. <laughs> I know that. I know that's a fact. And <laughs> but, I wouldn't want you to. I, don't don't pick me on the team if I can't. You know, if I'm if, if I'm not bringing back to bringing back the bacon. <laughs> no, no. But you, you you you've you've given a lot in the access to companies. Uh, you know, like I said before, and your your just point of view, and and you and I are been growing together in this, which is yeah. fun, man. It's fun to to do that. Um, so is the second fun going to be? Uh, well, I, tell me a bit more about Fun Two. Yeah, I mean, Fun Two is really, um, you know, very similar mission. Uh, I think the big thing, you know, with Fun Two is that we're also going to, you know, expand the the pool uh, outside of just you know cultural leaders, we, but still keeping it all around capital focused around Black individuals and Black fund managers and institutions. And so, um, you know, I think the main thing that we want to do going into this next fund is really focused on education. Like, how do we educate more people about um, opportunities within technology, opportunities within venture capital, like allow people to know where the emerging markets are going. I think everybody now understands that technology is not going away and only going to be even more powerful and more impactful. And you're going to have to have this in some part of your industry so how can we kind of be at that forefront and really open up the doors and create, you know, whether it's, you know, supporting more HBCUs, 
um, and really getting them access and exposure to the education perspectives, you know, doing uh, case studies, which we're going to have one coming out later on this year. And so just a lot of ways around educating our community and making sure that everyone has access to the information. I mean, if you think about like what we were talking about with Bitcoin, right, a couple of years ago, like that was open information for everybody to know about, you know, and so but how do we make sure that um, you know, our communities and, and the people that we're working with and also just, you know, like just the broader, uh, you know, just industries in, in general are the knowledge is being transferred, um, you know, outside of what the, the initial bubble is so that everybody can can have a seat at that table and, and really play, play to win. So during the pandemic, and before, I think it was before, I can't remember when we first started talking about it, but you moved to South Florida, and it's not Silicon Valley. It obviously probably had a little bit to do with your family living in Atlanta, a little bit to do with the fact that warm weather, you were in your house, and if you're going to be in your house, why not do it in South Florida? But quickly during the pandemic, it seems like Silicon Valley has moved to (laughs) Miami and South Florida in some ways. Um as your business is growing, part mm-hmm. one of my question, mm-hmm. your responsibilities grow, your network that you have to keep in touch with, the firm that you work with, the LPs, mm-hmm. all of it. Have you started to have a hard time at all, A, managing both sides of this now, right, where it becomes running a business to some degree within your funds um, and being Chris Lyons? But also, how is this kind of new version of you and the scene in Silicon Valley moving to Miami? How does that all kind of play together? Yeah, no, it's been it's it was a it was a big decision for me to move down here. Um, you know, but ultimately, I viewed it as really momentum. Um, you know, I think about always living in, in the world of momentum and keeping things moving forward. And and you know, I, as much as I love the Bay, the Bay is 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 a is a a piece of my life that I'll never forget. I felt like there was opportunity for new momentum. And so in August, I moved down here, not knowing that everybody else would come down as well, too. But, you know, because of that, you know, in the, in the you know, the, the eight years of me living in the Bay gave me an opportunity to understand how to build community, what community felt like, how to actually, you know, take over uh, you know, a city and make it your own and, and add to it. And, and like, who doesn't want to come to South Florida and, and, and also at any time, whether it's for fun or whether it's for, for business. And so that was the initial idea. Um, but then if you think about just where the world is going, like, you know, you don't have to be in a city, any specific city anymore in order to get a job done. And, you know, because we're doing more things online and, and the power of the internet and, and, you know, like one of the only probably benefits of COVID is that it, it accelerated the industry and technology five years ahead. And so now you don't have to be in a city. Uh, to, you don't have to come to specifically only to San Francisco in order to build a company. You can build a company anywhere. And so, which opens up the door for anybody to have exposure and, 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 and access to, you know, being one of the next unicorns or, you know, starting a next great company and working all around the world. And so, you know, I think that that was super interesting to me. And then now that we're starting to have a community come down here of people, not just from the Bay, but from LA and from New York and from Atlanta and from all different parts of the world. uh, I just think that there's, there's so much opportunity and potential. And I just want to make sure that, you know, all the information and resources that we have built over the past, you know, eight years now 
we can then take that and, and apply it to uh, a new city and, and really just kind of, you know, and staying with my theme on remixing, like how do we remix, uh, you know, Miami and South Florida into be one of the next big hubs for, for the future of innovation. So is, so what's the state of San Francisco is it, are people not opening up their offices? Is it all I virtual? Think so. I think everything's going to, I think it'll eventually come back to normal. It's going to take a lot of time, but you know, it's never going to be the same. Like, just like when you guys left, it was never the same. <laughs> well, you know? well said, well said, bro. Absolutely. I like that. But it still goes, it still goes on, you know? So, uh, <laughs> that way you guys know that was, that was, that I felt like that was the, that was the first, the first real hit of San Francisco, but you know, like, luckily, <laughs> <laughs> I say that I've, it never. It was second you guys left uh, left the towers. I was like, man, it's never gonna be. Insane. Chris and I, I was on some emo shit with Chris. So I'm like, yo, it's nothing's gonna change with us, bro. <laughs> I was like, yes, <laughs> but look, I'm, I'm closer. Look, you know, I'm pull, I'm pulling up, I'm pulling up to uh, to game five. You already know I'll be there. Of course, so. <laughs> man. Of course, you just gotta one. You gotta get your own floor seat soon, though. Uh, <laughs> well, look, why you think? Why you think we're working? <laughs> so working on the weekends. <laughs> so talk to me a little bit about like managing some of these other things that you're working on too. And I know your priority is always Andreessen and Harwitz, and I know your priority is the fun, and I've seen it, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I, I know no one's distracted. Like the busier you are, usually the more successful that person is. And, and yep, yep, the yep. busier somebody is, the more that person can take on usually. Um, yep. But sh- your wine is not just a joke. Like you have a real thing. You have a real business. Yeah. I mean, we have like, we're constantly have them in the office. Yep. Um, Appreciate tell, <laughs> Of course. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, and, and you have something else you're working on in that world? Or is that, yeah, tell me a little bit about those businesses. Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny because before I even wanted to get into technology, I always loved wine. Right. And I loved wine because it was just a, it was the art of the wine. And, and you know, um, but people, especially within our culture, like like there was less than let's think at the time, you know, when I started really thinking about wine was in 2008, there was like 60 black vintners and so like we represent 0.01 percent of the industry yet you know we're one of the largest consumers of alcohol and spirits and so also if you look at wine like it was always something that you you know when you order tequila there's a brand you know when you order vodka it's Ciroc when you order um you know uh, cognac is Hennessy like there's always a brand but when people order wine it was I want a red I want a white I want this like they never associated brands with wine from the everyday market and so i was like look why can't we build a wine that is built off of that is you know recognized for its brand but also recognized in quality too because i think that most people have not really had a chance to experience high quality wine uh and you know also do it in a first in class way and so you know i went on a super long journey of, of trying to understand, you know, different grapes and varietals and industries. And I came to the, the, I fell in love with Italian wine. And if you think about just products in general, like, you know, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, you know, Fendi, uh, Zenia, shout out to Zenia. Uh, you know, we also, <laughs> we also, uh, we all love uh, like products from the old world. Exactly. Uh, we all love products from the old world. And so I was like, you know, I wanted to build a product that was luxury, but also, you know, could, could be a gateway for other wines. And so I chose Lambrusco and, and, and which is an Italian red sparkling wine. So you still have the fun of celebration, 
you know, because you get you can pop the bottle. It's also great for you know an alternative to a rosé or champagne because it's it's red and it's sparkling. You keep it chilled. But the most important thing I wanted to, to really focus on the brand. And so you know, it's an all matte red bottle. Uh, and so it doesn't even matter if you don't even remember what the name is. You can remember what our bottle is and re- what it really stands out for. And so. You know, always, I, you know, you know me, Rich, and, and our money, like, Johnny, like, I want to, I want to really make sure that we can, you know, push the needle forward, be innovative and do things that have never been done before. And so like, that was really important for me to really kind of, you know, look at wine from uh, the level zero, like, what if we can, um, you know, design a product that from our own perspective, you know, 21st century uh, you know, from a black male, from a community that loves products that that we can do do this in a first in class way. And also, you know, thinking about from a technology standpoint as well, too, like, you know, our product, we do direct to consumer. So we, we ship directly to your door, you know, really thinking about innovative ways to brand and market. So you're not just going to see me on the vineyard, you know, with my family, like holding my wine with my smile, you know, <laughs> like, like we're, we're in the music videos, you know, we're having fun. We're at the house parties, you know, like we're John, you know, like you're like your pops. He, I, I remember talking to him about it and he was like, yo, this is, you know, the, the, the champagne lifestyle, you know? And so like, he, like, like really, he was one of the first persons that I actually shared, shared my wine with. And he was, he gave me the whole marketing breakdown. And so like, he was super influential in terms of, you know, even me kind of thinking about how I wanted to to display the, the product from the very beginning. And so, you know, really thinking about like, you know, hip hop culture, thinking about, you know, just like how we can really think about products and how we can celebrate effort effortlessly and, and how we can, you know, use products that look like us, that feel like us, that and and ultimately can can really represent, you know, ways in which we can, you know, really jumpstart and, and become experts and connoisseurs in the wine industry. That's very cool, man. And do you want to keep doing this as part of your business and is it an outlet or do you think you have a real like successful business here one day? Well, I mean, we I just saw we we I have my last uh, 50 bottles uh, of, you know, that I think we're in, then we're going to be sold out of, of our second vintage. And I currently have, you know, our third vintage, you know, uh, shipping all the way from, from Italy right now, which will be here by the end of April. And so, uh, I think that, you know, people are loving the product where it's organically, you know, selling out on its own. I mean, I, I, I appreciate all the support of everybody who's who's purchased and has, you know, really kind of looked at this thing as as a, as, as something that really I, they can help identify with as well, too. And so uh, I, I think that it's complementary to everything that we're doing. I mean, think about this. Like if, if I'm going out to, on a business meeting, like I can order somebody else's wine or I can order or I can bring my wine and we can order it there. And so we're going to have a, we're going to celebrate a moment either way. So why not, you know, incorporate something that we, that, that I've been passionate about my entire life. And at the end of the day, it was, it was really funny. I'll end on a story. It's like, I went to Napa for the first time. And this was right when I was really trying to think about what I was going to name my wine. And I went to all these vineyards. And at the end, I noticed one thing, like all the vineyards were their own last name, you know, Hall, or Mondavi or, you know, Harlan Estate, like all these brands. I'm like, wow, like they're all their family's names. And I was like, well, I mean, my last name's not that bad. So why don't I just go ahead and and just rock with it? And so, you know, I want this to be something that my family can also, uh, you know, support and be a part of And and I hope that it can be a real tradition and something that really takes off and becomes 
you know, a, a centerpiece and, and really incorporated into, you know, when you're talking about the next generation wine vintners that, you know, hopefully our family can be included in that conversation. All right, my brother. Well, listen, man, it's only fitting that I'd have you on pod 35 in honor of 35 on a 35. This is a special one. This is a special one, man. In honor of our boy KD, 35 Ventures, man. Well, listen, Chris, keep keep doing what you're doing. Keep trailblazing. Appreciate your friendship. Um, You know, we're always here to support and I know you are for us, too. So call me when you get to Jamaica, bro. Let's go, man. Y'all mind. Y'all mind. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right. Well, this I, is. I, uh, I really appreciate y'all. That, uh, thank you so much for, for the time. Keep up the great work. You already know. Uh, you know, if you or any of the listeners need anything, you can always reach out. We're always here to help and, uh, you know, keep innovation alive. We all we got. <laughs> I like it, bro. And listen, man, tell you tell your innovative network to start downloading my uh, and subscribing to my podcast, Boardroom Let's Out go. of Office. Out of office. Oh, Out of oh, office. Oh. oh, oh, oh. Wow. I like it, man. I like it. Start That's start cool. repping South Beach with that, all right? <laughs> hey, you send me some merch. You already know. You know what Grubman <laughs> calls? What does Grubman call me? Oh, yeah. He's ace. 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 <laughs> ace. All right, guys. Shout out to Grubman. Absolutely. Y'all appreciate you. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to everybody soon.